Praise the Lord. Our Father and our God, we want to thank you for today. We want to thank you for today's service. We want to give you praise for all that you've done and you've said in our midst so far. We say, may your name be highly exalted in Jesus' name. But as we spend some few minutes here to go into your word, we pray that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Father, we give you praise. We give you worship. Thank you for your spirit that is among us. Thank you because your children would live here with something for their lives. In Jesus' name, we are prayed. Amen. Amen. We had a wonderful time in, in the month of March, didn't we? had a wonderful time. It was a really good month for us. And God really taught us some important things on this altar. And had to do with lessons on the kingdom. Today I'd like us to turn our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. It's one of the more popular verses in the New Testament. I believe it was made popular by a children's show I used to watch when I was young. I can't remember whether it was Donut Man or Salty. I feel like it was Donut Man. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. He is a new creation. Who knows that song? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. I watched that when I was a kid. It's very, you know, childish. It was very catchy when I was when I was a kid. That's how I knew this particular verse. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. Amen. This verse essentially is saying that anyone who has been translated into the family of God through Jesus Christ, has had his former self, right? His former things completely removed. That's what it's saying. When you say something has passed away, it means it's gone. And everything has become new. How many things did he say has become new? Paul said all things. He didn't limit it to a number. He brought it to a point where no matter what you want to count in your life, as someone who is a new creature, everything has become new. So throughout this month, even as we approach the end of this month, we have a special program at the end of this month. Amen? Amen. And that last Sunday will not be for me, so I won't be teaching you. <laughs> um, but throughout this month, up until... The Saturday of the special program, we'll be looking at different things that we can say are new in our lives. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at new life. Next week we'll be looking at new hope. And the week after that we'll be looking at new love. And finally we'll be looking at new power. This is not an exhaustive list because they said all things have become new. So I'm sure there are many other things that we could talk about that are also new. But these four we would examine for the entirety of April, starting today with new life. 
And I'd like us to open our Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 14. Because this is where we're getting our lesson on new life today. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of what? Of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death had no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey in his lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. Very wonderful passage you just read. I guess the first thing that I would like to mention, in all seriousness, but it's also kind of in a playful sense, is that the God forbid we see here is not the Nigerian connotation that we understand in how we say God forbid or to fear. Amen. Sometimes there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tendency for us to read this thing and interpret it the way we would usually interpret it in our own colloquial language, forgetting the fact that this book was written like how many years ago, and there's probably something that Paul felt as he was writing that made him like say those words. So, God forbid here means by no means. You know, it means by no means. Or let it be far from us. You know, it's kind of, it's an expression. But it's an expression that is born from what he said before it. And it is at this point that I am going to speak of the difference between 
the literal possibility of sin and the moral possibility of sin. Because the first mistake that you would make is to think that this scripture or this part of the scripture is saying that sin is no longer a literal possibility in the life of the believer. It is. I will deal with that as we go towards the end of this teaching. What Paul is saying here is not that sin is no longer a literal possibility. What he's saying here is that sin is no longer a moral possibility in the life of anyone who is a new creature. What does moral possibility mean? What am I trying to say? Morality can be described as the principles that direct right and wrong behavior within a person. So we've heard of this of this the expression moral compass, right? What do people mean when they say moral compass? They're simply saying that there are principles within every human being that essentially guide or direct what that person considers to be right or wrong behavior. That is the expression of your morality. And not every human being has the same morality. Both the unsaved and the saved. But essentially, morality is governed by internal principles. Amen. So what Paul is saying here is that sin is no longer a moral possibility for the believer. And the reason why it is not is because something has changed inside him. The principles that govern his behavior of right and wrong and his perception of right and wrong have what? Have changed. So sin is no longer a moral possibility for a believer. But he can be a literal possibility. But when we're talking about this, I don't want you to look at it as something that is harmless. Amen. So what I mean by that is that the fact that I'm saying that sin can be a literal possibility does not mean that I am saying that just because it can happen, it is harmless to the believer. It's not harmless. It has consequences. There's something that it does to the believer because the believer, when he falls or if he falls or she falls into sin, the believer is acting against his nature or her nature. And something gives. It's not harmless. I'm going to give you two analogies. They're funny analogies and I hope they don't make you hungry. But let's say for example, you go or you're invited to a party and everybody in the party is being served chicken. And somehow, what comes to you is turkey. Right? And they explain to you that, well, sorry, you know, chicken has finished. What I just told you is a story that can basically have a variety of consequences depending on the person 
that you are. Because you see, even here, we take a sample size, there will be people that prefer talking to chicken. So actually, that mistake is a good thing for them. There will be people that meat is meat. It doesn't really matter to them. I have a friend, or had a friend once that told me he, he could not taste the difference between like different types of meat when they are fried. That meat is just meat to him. So there are people that <laughs> it doesn't bother them. Amen. There also there's probably somebody else that might take offense by the fact that he wanted or she really wanted chicken. It's a variety of responses, and we cannot predict which it is because in the end, this particular situation is a harmless scenario. But let's flip it a bit. So imagine there is a bring-your-own-food party that somebody organized, or let's say you are the one that organized it. But it's supposed to be a vegetarian party. And let's say you organize it and it's a vegetarian party and you invite different people to come. And people are supposed to come and essentially present their food on a platter and you have like a buffet setting. And you, you are inside because you organized it and people are coming in. And you come out and you want to start serving and you're just going around to see like the different creative delicacies that people came up with, replacing chicken with tofu and all that regular stuff. Only for you to just move and you see a platter full of like goat meat and chicken and corby and asun. For those that are not vegetarians here, this example is not working for them. <laughs> but the point is, it's more grievous. It's more grievous. So, as someone who organizes that, you come out and you say, who brought this? You want to know who brought it. Why? Because there's a principle in play for this particular gathering. It's not just anybody come and do what you like. There's a principle in play in that what has been done directly negates the principle that is in operation for that particular gathering. And it's a problem because of that. And so we should not look at sin being a literal possibility as something that is harmless, like the first example, because it's not. What sin is in the life of a believer is like bringing guns to a peace rally or something. Let's say they want to have a peaceful protest where we're just supposed to march and carry placards and some people decide to come with guns and start shooting in the air. That's not harmless at all because that is a breach of the principle that was supposed to govern that event. So just because we say that it's a literal possibility does not simply leave us off the hook. Do we understand? Because that's the problem with this teaching. Some people are on the extreme that say, you know, what Paul is saying is that a believer must never and can never make a mistake. That's why he said, go for it. While there are others that lean into 
the grace teaching to such extremes that they fail to emphasize that as much as we are saying yes, it is a literal possibility. But because of the change in the moral constituents of the believer, there is what? Consequence. So there are two things that I want us to look at today that would help us and they are found in verse 11 and verse 13. The first thing we are going to look at is reckon yourself. Can you write or say reckon yourself? Another word for reckon is to consider yourself or what? To see yourself. And that's the first thing that Paul actually admonishes here. He says in 11, Likewise, ye also, ye, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be what? To be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The first thing that has to happen in your life is an awareness that you actually have new life. You have to know it, you have to understand it, and you have to accept it. That you are no longer ruled by sin. That you are no longer under the dominion of what? Of sin. It is something that you have to accept as a reality in your life. Irrespective of whatever struggles you might be going through in your personal life. You know, one of the problems that Christians have when it comes to habits or when it comes to vices or when it comes to some of these things that Christians deal with in the closet that they cannot say to anybody is the fact that they have not yet reckoned themselves. They are still trying to fight it on their own. So essentially, what those Christians are doing is the equivalent of you being entered maybe into a boxing match, for example. You didn't ask for the boxing match. You just found out that someone has registered you into a boxing match and you must fight. And you're fighting against a professional boxer. And you must fight the fights. But suddenly something beautiful happens that a professional boxer that is better than the person that is challenging you decides that he or she would fight for you. And you've accepted that the person will fight for you. But you still step into the ring instead of that person. Do you understand? You've accepted that the person will fight for you is you accepting that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and all that. You're a Christian, sure. But when it comes to dealing with that thing, you're still trying to struggle through it by yourself. And that usually is the problem. Because what the devil tries to get believers hooked on is he gets us hooked and obsessed with habits and vices that we zero in on them so much that we forget that the goal is not for you to overcome whatever that thing is. That's not the goal. That is too myopic. The goal is for you to be a Christian that is worthy of the name Christian. The actual goal is for you to build a relationship with God that is healthy. 
that's your focus. But what the devil does is he makes you zero in. He makes us zero in on that habit, whatever it might be. It might be obvious things. It might not be obvious things. It might be pride of the heart. It might be envy. It might be sexually related. It might be lust of the heart. It might be alcoholism. It might be some other substance abuse. It might be anger. It might be, it might be anything. What the devil does is he would zero in your attention on that thing to make you believe that the entirety of your Christian life rests on what? On that thing. And it's not true. Because the truth is this. The entirety of your Christian life rests on the love of Christ who sacrificed his life for you even while you were in darkness. If you needed to overcome that mess before salvation came into your life, then you would not be saved. So why hinge your entire Christian life on whatever that mess is? That's not the approach. The first approach is to rest on what Jesus has done. And that is the reason why Paul says what? Consider yourselves. He went through a very, very detailed analogy. Telling them how Jesus has taken their sin. And when Jesus died, they died with him. And when he rose up into newness of life with God, they also rose with him. And Jesus carried all the sin of the world now and the sin to come. And nailed it on that cross forever. And when he was done with that analogy, what he told them was, Consider yourselves. Reckon yourselves. Know this. Understand it. Accept it that there is something new working within you. Because that's the most important step to freedom, actually. That's the most important step to this newness of life. Understanding what has been done for you and accepting it. And this is the reason for which when people give their lives to Jesus, they need to be exposed to fellowship. You know why? Because that decision to give their life to Jesus, there is a progressive revelation that has to come constantly to the life of a believer to show that believer just how much depth of grace and of love has been given to them by that one decision they have made. They cannot understand it fully in one day. You might spend your life with Jesus for one year, two years, and you're still getting more and more revelation onto the benefit of salvation. This might go on for years of your life. And it's important. That's why fellowship is important. That's why study is important. That's why being under the word of God is important. That's why reading passages like this is important. Even if you've taught it before, Go back and read it again, even if you've read it before. Because the devil will always try to rob us from reckoning ourselves. There's always that temptation to revert to our old setting. Of, oh my God, I'm dealing with this thing. I've, tried to, I've been trying and it hasn't been working. I've just been trying. I've been trying. And there's the tendency to get us back to that cycle of guilt. The victory is not a one-time victory something that he would always want to bring it up again. And you have to reckon yourself. 
you are no longer under the dominion of sin. It doesn't matter if it happens or not. You are still no longer under the dominion of sin. Do you know the most annoying thing you can do to the devil? The most annoying thing you can do to the devil is after you make a mistake, you run back to God and confess to him immediately. I know I'm still your son. I know I'm still your child. I know you still love me. I repent. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And start to confess who you are in Christ. You would find out that two things will be happening. It's number one, it's so liberating here. But it's also a very deep struggle. Because it's almost like there is a force trying to prevent those words from coming out of your mouth. Yes or no? (laughs) Who has experienced this before? It's almost like those two things are happening simultaneously. As you're saying those things, as you're repairing your relationship with God, there's so much freedom and peace that is on the inside of you. But at the same time, it's almost like something is trying to make you not say those words, not confess who you are in Jesus. That's the devil, because he knows that that's how he gets you. Because he doesn't want you to reckon yourself free from him. He doesn't want you to reckon yourself free from him. And I told you the three things that are contained in reckoning is what? You know it, you understand it, and you accept it. So he doesn't want you to do that. (laughs) Because he knows that if he can get you out of that, he has won. So you have to reckon yourself. You have to consider yourself free. You have to consider yourself as possessing new life. Amen. And the second thing that you have to do is to yield yourself. Can you write it and say it? Yield yourself. Or yield myself. <laughs> and that's verse 13. It says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This is the final step. And the truth is, you can't skip the rest and come here. If you skip the rest, you'll just be struggling in vain. Because yield yourself essentially is just telling you be who you are. Be who you truly are. Like, be who you are in practicality. You know why this is important? Because a lot of times, Christians are trying to pursue righteousness but they are trying to pursue practical righteousness with the mindset that it is something that is unattainable. They are trying to pursue a life of holiness, but deep down in them, they haven't yet accepted that holiness is their nature, is who they actually are. 
Do you understand? We've not accepted, if you've not accepted that this is who I am, then it's quite impossible for you to do any different. I'll give you a very funny example, but it's very popular. It's in a lot of popular media. You get it's like this is a trope that is in a lot of books, whether it's fantasy or sci-fi. It's in a lot of anime. But it's also in movies. I'm going to use one movie in particular to explain this. So there's a movie called Thor Ragnarok that came out some time ago. It's the part three of the Thor movies, Marvel. Sorry if you don't watch these things, I'll explain. Essentially, Thor, according to Norse mythology, is the god of thunder, right? And Thor went through an entire journey in that movie where his sister broke his hammer. And for the longest time, he had always associated his strength, his control over lightning and thunder to that hammer so as soon as the hammer was broken for a chunk of that movie he couldn't do anything he had bouts where like lightning still answered him but he never really believed until i think the final fight at the end and he had a weird vision where he saw his father and i remember that conversation clearly where his father was speaking to him and his father said you're not the god of hammers You're the god of what? Of thunder. Essentially, you don't need the hammer to call down lightning. And in a very strange way, that's kind of how we are as believers. We're looking for a crutch. Believers are trying to pursue holiness and righteousness without first accepting that holiness and righteousness is their nature. How can you do it? When there's still a part of you in your mind that hasn't reckoned yourself, that hasn't accepted that, I am no longer a sinner. I am God's child. I am holy. So you can't yield yourself without reckoning yourself. And that's what I'm just trying to explain. That they follow each other step by step in actualizing this new life. And it says, yield your what? Your members. I'm going to give us a list of members, and it's not exhaustive. And there are a lot of scriptures that talk about these members specifically, but I'm not going to go into them. You can find them yourselves. Um, but I'm going to talk about five members that we have to yield, particularly. The first is our eyes. So now this is coming down to the practicality of it. Because we've talked about literal possibility versus moral possibility. For you to stop sin from being a literal possibility in your life, you have to yield your members. If not, you would go around that cycle. And it will not be because God doesn't love you and he will not forgive you. But it would halt your spiritual growth. Because like I said, it's not harmless. When we fall into sin, it's not harmless. There are consequences. Because we're acting against our 
our nature. So the first thing is we have to yield our eyes. Yielding our eyes is not just about what we avoid. Right? It's about what we give our eyes to. Because he said two things. He said, do not yield your members to unrighteousness. Then he said, yield your members unto righteousness. There are two things that we have to do. And sometimes the problem is we focus on the negative and don't really do anything about the positive. So it's not enough to say, okay, I'm not going to watch some shows. I'm not going to do some stuff with my eyes. I'm going to be careful what I see. But you also have to think about what you use your eyes for. How much of things that are pertaining to God and righteousness do you actually give your eyes to? So it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. But you see, the other one is also something we have to be particular about. That's what we don't give our eyes to. You'll be surprised just how many things that God has stopped me from watching. I love TV shows. I love series. I love a lot of stuff. But there's some things I can't watch anymore. It's a personal conviction. And I'm not going to give anybody a message as to why. But it's just what God has led me to do, to yield these eyes to him. So many things I love, I can't, I can't do. There's this show called The Boys. I watched the first season. I watched the second season. The trailer for the third season came out. And the Holy Spirit said, you're not watching that. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> I love the show. I love superhero stuff. And especially when it's deconstructive in nature. And it's deconstructive. And I don't want to bore you with all that, but yeah. But I can't watch it. I've been banned. <laughs> but it's because I need to yield what? My eyes. It's very practical teaching. We can't we can't afford to just look at it theoretically. If your Christian life is not such that you and fellow Christians cannot gather together and say, oh, well, this is what I can't do anymore, then I don't think you're doing it yet. This is not I'm, not, I'm not trying to be pedantic. I'm not trying to say that you're supposed to gather and start like comparing notes and scoring points. But if it's not part of your Christian experience that you can share with someone that this is something that has been cut from my life, and the person can understand because other things have also been cut from theirs, then there's a problem with that Christian relationship. Because this is something that God does with everyone. We live in a corrupt world. Or we are different. Something has to give. Second thing, we have to yield our ears. We have to be extremely careful what we listen to. But again, it's not just about what we avoid. It's about what we accept and allow to enter. 
So we have to go through the discipline of doing some things. Quite recently in my life, I had to discipline myself from listening to Arsenal podcasts. I love Arsenal Football Club. I can't love them more than Jesus. And it got to a point that I was checking like my podcast listening history and I realized that I had started to listen to more Arsenal podcasts than the messages that I, I love for real. And I had to talk to myself and say no. Because it's not like that is harming me per se, but it's taking out of time that I can use to yield my ears to what? To God. So again, it's not just about the negative. It's also about the positive, because those are the things that we've been directed to do. We have to yield our lips, our mouths. There's so much about this in scripture, about the power of the tongue, about how our speech must be seasoned with salt and bring grace unto others. And again, it's not just about the things you don't say. It's also about the things that you say. Because just because you don't use curse words does not mean that your lips are what are yielded to God. Which is why when the conversation comes up, I, I, what I usually say is we're lowering the bar as Christians. If what a Christian is bothered about is whether, he's, whether he can curse or not curse, then he's not there yet, he's not ready. Because the standard that God has given us goes way beyond that. It's about our lips being seasoned with His grace. That everything that comes out of it brings life to someone else. To leave that conversation, to leave such a high standard, to water it down to a, can I use this word, can I not use this word, is insulting to the Christian life. Because the conversation is way beyond that. Amen? We also have to yield our hands. These are our members. What do our hands do? Our hands selfish. Our hands used to serve others. Do we use our hands as yielded instruments unto God? Or do we use our hands to serve ourselves alone? And finally, for today's list, we have to yield our feet. Where do we go? Where do we let our legs take us? What are the invitations we accept? What are the gatherings that we choose to go to? But again, it's not just about the gatherings we choose not to go to. It's also about the gatherings that we choose to go to. There are people that have never stepped into a party this year. They've not gone for any party. They've not gone to any club. They've not gone to any of these things. They've not visited anybody that is bad. In quotes. Neither have they stepped into a church or listened to any message or gone to any place where Christians are gathering. They are just in this weird place. And it's not enough. Amen. So it's not just about what you avoid. 
It's also about what you accept, which is why he says, it's not enough just to not yield your members to some things. You also have to make a conscious effort to yield your members to some other things. Amen. And if we do this in practicality, we will find that literal sin will be greatly reduced in our lives. Because when Jesus was talking to the Jews, and the Jews were complaining about the disciples not washing their hands, Jesus said unto them, It is not what goes into a man that corrupts a man. It is what comes out of a man that corrupts a man. Jesus was actually giving double meanings. He was talking at first about food, in that it is not what anybody eats that corrupts a man. Because when you eat it, you pass it out. You pass out the waste, you take the nutrients. But it is what comes out of a mouth that man that corrupts a man. Because what comes out of a man is usually a reflection of other things that he has taken in that were not physical. And what we will find is that the root cause of every sin that begrudges a man is what his eyes have taken in, what his ears have taken in. And what has entered his heart and has come out of his lips. And if he keeps festering and festering, it will lead his hands and his feet to what? Commensurate action that is based on those things that he has taken in. So when our members are yielded unto righteousness, literal sin is defeated in our lives. That's just it. That's the truth. And that's why we can say we enjoy this new life that has been given unto us. That is when a Christian can really step into all things being new. Particularly in regards to enjoying the newness of life that Jesus has what? Let's give him. But first we have to reckon ourselves. We have to consider ourselves. And secondly, we have to what? We have to yield ourselves. We have to yield our members unto God. And it's practical teaching. And we have to let God do his work. Amen.